Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes, when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Well, all right, I told you we'd make it. Episode 57, this is it. This is going to be very exciting because we always said if you're going to make it to, uh, I think the magic number is 57. I've been saying that for a while, so we finally made it here. I'm very excited. I appreciate you coming along on the Operator Podcast with me where I talk to other operators. I talk to you as an operator. I tell you what I think. You tell me what you think, and then you respond on Twitter at Mikuya or Instagram at Mikuya, M-C-H-O-O-Y-A-H, or at the Operator Podcast. I want to grow that one a little bit because Makuya has been restricted uh, just a little bit over a year. August 6th, 2022, I got restricted for some reason. I'm still trying to figure out why, but I don't know if everything's getting out there. So let's try at the Operator Podcast. We'll have some fun there. Tell me what you think of what I'm saying, what I think of what you're saying. I asked the other day, too, on Twitter. Just You can tell when I'm trying to ruffle the feathers. I just asked, why do you hate Donald Trump? And boy... I mean, you you talk about meatloaf within two two comments, people will be fighting about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. That's just how it goes. So I, I asked straight up, tell me why you don't like him. And I want a reason. I don't want because he's mean, but uh, I got some reasons. It's pretty good. I'm going to get into that, but not today. Not right yet, because there's still more to find out, and we're going to wait to see what go on with all these indictments and whatnot. We, uh, I have the CEO of... Seeker Technology here today, Pat Kondo, and uh, Seeker is a new search engine you may have heard of. We, um, it, it's it's it was designed, um, to combat misinformation. It's a search engine, and uh, what it does is gives you uh, there's a couple different algorithms, a couple different uh, forms of artificial intelligence that will tell you where. The which is where the story comes from. You can get a story anywhere, but it's not. It, it doesn't. Uh, it's not discriminating and giving you the first three pages of their end of the spectrum. It's giving you an honest. Here's what we came up with. Here's where it came from, and here's the rating that we give it. So this is the truth. This is not the truth. This is coming from the left. This is coming from the right. But Seeker S E E K R is exciting. I found out about it about a year ago, I guess, and uh, I've heard Tony Robbins talk about it. Bear Grylls. Talked about it. I'm talking about it. Secret Technology. Pat Condo, the CEO, will be here very, very soon. Uh, first, I do need to talk about some other stuff going on. I know you've heard me mention Moink. Moo Plus Oink. It's a subscription meat box. And it's taken off. It's absolutely delicious. 
the bacon, the ground beef, the steaks. Did you know that 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese, and their hogs are giving something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, yet you'll find it in your grocery aisle every day. There is a better way, and that is moink. And that comes from two words, moo plus oink, for cows and pigs. Moink delivers grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. And Moink farmers farm just like our grandparents did, and as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. we got to be supporting the family farms because uh, China's trying to buy us up, and I've said before, if you control the food, you control the population. The Moink difference is a difference you can taste, and you'll feel good knowing you're helping family farms stay financially independent as well. And you choose the meat to be delivered. You can switch it up every month. Ribeyes, the chicken breasts, pork chops, salmon fillets, much more. Plus, you can cancel any time. Moink is helping to save the rural American farm. I love it, and you will love it too. Uh, Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary actually called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted. I am agreeing with Kevin. It is the best bacon I've ever had. My kids love it. I sent it to my family up in Montana. My wife loves it here. We love the... um, we love the all the meat. It's 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 absolutely incredible. I I love Moink. I know you will too. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com/theoperator. Do it right now and listeners of the show will get free ground beef for a year. That is some of the best ground beef you'll ever taste. It's for a limited time. moinkbox.com/theoperator. Free ground beef for a year. So that is M-O-I-N-K box.com slash the operator. Moinkbox.com slash the operator. Go check it out. Get the bacon. Get the free ground beef for a year when you use code the operator. Moinkbox.com. And if you didn't catch um, episode 56 last week, I interviewed uh, Jason Koloski from Watchtower Firearms. And I've had some questions about why it's called Watchtower. It's a new firearms company. Draws its name from the brave Americans who fought under the Southern Cross in the Pacifics as part of Operation Watchtower. So Watchtower honors their tenacity and ingenuity. Like these legends, Watchtower equips the next generation of warriors to defend our way of life anywhere. Very, very cool weapon systems at Watchtower. It's They're all made, I've talked about them before, they're all made here in uh, the United States, down in Texas. Born in Texas, American-made. Check out, uh, uh, I'm one of the ambassadors there, Ray Cashcare, former Navy SEAL. Very cool ambassadors on board there. We've got uh, different kinds of rifles, different kinds of pistols. They're all custom-made, uh, just fine, fine weapons right out of the box. They look pretty. They shoot pretty. They're amazing. And you can check out the NISRO rifle. NISRO stands for Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill. Those are limited and very, very unique numbering system, serial numbers. There's uh, Colonel Allen West. He's got a rifle as well. Cool stuff on the site, watchtowerfirearms.com. Check them out and check out that uh, episode 56 with Jason. Great, great interview. Check out Watchtower Fire. Welcome back to the Operator Podcast. I have a special guest today named Pat Condo. He's uh, he's one of the smart guys in the world. Uh, just uh, started a search engine and more called Seeker. S-E-E-K-R. Pat, you want to take it away? Sure. Um, you know, nice to be here. And, um, you know, we, um, you know, five or six years back, we we began a uh, to look at what was happening in the world of uh, 
you know, information processing and how people are receiving information. And we we, we started to take a look at news and uh, we, we saw that it was, you know, as news has grown and social media um, has grown, it became the principal way that people were getting information to make decisions. And those decisions, you know, would finally end up as in any democracy in a vote. And we, we saw that um, without the right information, uh, votes can get cast and history can get changed. And so we took upon ourselves the mission of looking at the news and and just and taking it and deciding whether there was really the presence here of what we would call false and misleading information. And we began that journey a while back and over the last three or four years, we've built a technology that actually can recognize the presence of false and misleading information, which has um, led us down the path of saying, as we look across the web and we say, gee, this is not just news, it's, it's spread across all forms of content, and it's also spread outside of the US in almost every democracy um, that I've visited. Their, their principal concern is, are people given the right information to make decisions? And uh, we feel they're not. And so our mission is to provide the technology that helps people um, look at the content, look at how, how transparent it is, uh, what's the source of it, and then what kind of um, subliminal uh, suggestions may be present. Um, they could be biases, they could be um, false and misleading information that's you know, where there's no attribution or their personal attacks. And, you know, over the last five years, we've seen so much of that and society's gotten so complex that we feel this is, you know, the right product for the market today. So in a nutshell, you do, it's a search engine, among other things, and it uses artificial intelligence to help. Is, is it a, is an AI technology that's telling you where the spin's coming from? Absolutely. We, you know, we, we've started uh, my career. I started, you know, 30 years ago in um, what we would call today artificial intelligence, but it was really things like uh, machine vision, as an example, um, where, you know, you train a machine to look at a pattern. And uh, after a while, when it, it can recognize a pattern and it can do it at a scale that no human can. Mm. And if you fast forward to the where we are today, um, you know, all of this technologies come out of manufacturing and places like that, and it's all pattern recognition. And so what we did was we deployed pattern recognition to take a look at um, content that's produced and extract out signals. And when you separate the signals from the noise and you look at those signals, what are they telling you? And if you have the right detectors, it would tell you this could be leaning towards something that's false and misleading. This could be leaning towards something that's more truthful. And so that's how that's the basis of how we've built it. And as we scale it up, every form of content needs a different type of signal. So if you want to identify something false in an image, you need a different signal. If you want to identify false, you know, false, the presence of false indicators in video, you need signals. So we're experts at doing that at massive scale. Hmm. So um, is it mainly, is it mainly misinformation, disinformation, or is it just a spin on someone's political ideologies? No, it, it 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 is not. It is it is a focus on, um, we the the first round of detection is is this is this article um, leaning have have indicators that lean towards credible or not. The second um, activity that we give a user is now you can look at 
uh, left-leaning leaning center. So the presence of political bias is what we're trying to do. We're agnostic. We're not taking a but, right or a left yeah. position. We're just giving you, the consumer, the ability to look at the content from a, a lot of different um, vectors. Um, and we're not just looking at news. We've gone on to podcast, which is another whole area, right? You and I are, are having a conversation, but in the middle of it, there's personal attacks that take place. Well, people are unaware of that until they listen to the podcast. And then right. they might say, oh, I don't ever want to listen to that again because, you know, they're attacking somebody or themselves. Who knows? So the uh, so we've developed what's called the civility score, which says a person should have a be able to have a conversation. They should have each side should be able to express its views and neither side should have. Um, you know, be canceled, let's say, as a result right. of it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there is also kind of the notion of what's the definition of abusive attack versus comedy or things like that. So all that gets factored in. And once again, it's a, it's a score that we put on podcasts. So we're scoring every podcast and giving them sort of the civility score. As far as um, like if they're telling the truth? Not the truth, meaning that um, that's hard to discern, right? Because you you could be an expert at making up facts and figures and um, other scenarios. But so that would be not our role is to tell you whether that's true or not. What we might be able to tell you is that there's also a lot of indicators in that conversation that may trend towards uh, not authentic. Like you may go on to say a whole bunch of things and then say, and oh, by the way, um, you know, the Declaration of Independence was, you know, built after the Civil War was, you know, and we'd be like, OK, right off the bat, we now know that this is headed in the wrong direction. And that, mm -hmm. by the way, is the problem with AI, right? The the problem that we see with ChatGBT and other large language models out there is, is that they um, have appeared on the scene. They've made it easy for a person to to interact with them. But People don't know the source of the content. They don't know um, the bias that the trainer had to train the model. So when they ask, have it go off and do a task, it sometimes brings back uh, quite a bit of false information, but it's all covered in a very nice, nice package that looks like it should be real and should be um, something that you could rely on. But in fact, it contains quite a bit of um, incorrect information. And that's is that like the, really is that, is the, the stuff the kids are using to turn, to turn in essays and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's the least of our problems. The, the real problem is how about if you get on and you use a computer to magnify, you know, your position and it just continues to produce content nonstop and floods social networks, floods search results. And all of a sudden you're looking at stuff and it kind of looks real because... It's got some some elements in it that are attractive to you and you rely on it, but it's not. And so that's the that's the real fear is that, you know, we've got a weak foundation already with the Web and how you can trust it across these dimensions. Now you're going to layer on, you know, chat GBT and other, you know, forms that that just can't, uh, you know, the Web can't tolerate that volume of false and misleading information. So how do you how do you correct for that and how do you give um, consumers or advertisers guidelines around how to measure that. And that's what we do with our score. Oh, that's cool. And I can do all that. You can do all that. Cause that's that when you were listening to that off, it, it seems like uh, there's a lot of little factors in there that make big, big factors eventually, but 
Yeah, yeah, you can tell. Yeah, that's I, I was impressed with this with the seeker score. There's so much more to it than just a one to ten, just left or right, right? There's all kinds of stuff going on. No, so you know, there's um, you know, behind the scenes, um, you know, in the in the in the back room, there are like a hundred different um factors that make up principles of journalism. Um, and then there's a 350 different cognitive biases that humans have. And so all of these things have been put into software coding and, um, and, and set up like what we would call a neural network. And when an article appears, certain of these things fire off and indicate the presence or absence of, of these factors. And the sum of these things kind of creates the score. So if you think about your credit score, right, it's made up of 20 or 30 different things. Well, you miss your mortgage payment. Well, your score is going to go down by a bigger percentage than if you were late on a, you know, store payment. And mm -hmm. it operates in the same kind of principle. If you, if some of the big things that are present are really indicate uh, that this has to be false, then your score is going to be pretty low. But if there's just a whole bunch of little things, you know, your score could be, you know, medium to high. And if none of these things are present, then usually you get the highest score. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And and then are they do they uh, just cut, do they come up on the search just randomly or, or are they in a specific chronological order? Uh, well, so um, news comes up according to breaking news. So as okay. the news appears, we score everything. So you know somewhere between you know it's always changing, but you know twenty five thirty thousand different sources of news flow in. Uh, you know articles every second. We index every one of them in real time, and we extract. The information and do a score rating so as as time goes on you know it gets refreshed and so you have trending news trending articles things like that which indicate over time like what it, what 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 kind of content is getting you know the most velocity at that moment but um one of the more important areas that's become really um interesting is source attribution so you've seen articles where it says a source close to the white house somebody yes. in law enforcement an intelligence operator but when they don't name those people we've all discovered in the last few years that more than likely this is a false story now right. you can't say it is but more than likely it is that's one of the key indicators is where who is the source of this information the second thing that we've all seen in the last three or four years are quotes. How many times are quotes um, misquoted? Right. You, you you make a quote, it's three sentences. I, I only picked the first and the third. And that, and so our, our ability to do source attribution, our ability to do quote extraction um, are really critical because you want to be on record for what you said in the context you said it, not just be, not have somebody take your quote and just put the first line right. because that's it's a huge source of false information because yes someone could say oh pat condo did say that sentence but that wasn't my quote mm -hmm. no that's good that it seems like it could clean up a lot of the uh and i hate misinformation but there's the certain stories that get plucked so if certain people don't want you to see it or if they're saying and, and the whole thing with the uh i anonymous like i said anonymous source or from someone close to this and it never quite yeah never quite works no um anonymous sources in just about any case you, you really have to think about them because um whether you're in politics or even somebody that is an anonymous um 
let's say, you know, a a diner at a restaurant that submits anonymous and puts a terrible review in there, that (laughs) could be your competitor. That doesn't necessarily mean the person even ate there. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, or a product review, anonymous, that could be a competitor, that could be a a different retailer. Um, So, so when I see anonymous, or I say a sources aren't stated, or I don't see anything relative to that, my, my, my red flag goes up and says, this is really, really questionable, because this is an area in journalism that has accelerated. Um, The, the way to make something look truthful is to put enough information in there where it starts to sound and feel and look truthful. And then the only way they can, um, you know, reach the final entry is without any source, they have to make it sound like a real source, but they can't, but without the name, without the date, without the, you know, specific notation, I I think it's almost valueless. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would think too. I've, I've been involved with a few things where someone wrote an article of what, what really happened from an anonymous, three anonymous sources. It's like that it, I, I know it that didn't happen that way, but you're just telling people this because someone told you or whatever. So yeah, it's, I don't care for that either. Well, and, 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 and it's a difficult world out there in, because, um, you know, on a very uh, micro level, people's reputations are at stake. So if somebody wants to publish something about you, um, you know, then all of a sudden it's out there, it's on the internet, and there's really no way to, um, you know, argue against that because, you know, you can't. too many resources get expended to try to, you know, change the opinion. But in today's day and age, it it seems to be allowed and and almost acceptable that if you make a false and misleading statement, uh, there is there are no um, repercussions to it. And it's amazing to me. Well, one side more than the other. (laughs) There are people out there that can get away with anything. (laughs) Well, well, so um, on on that note, I would say... um, you know, the political arena is really interesting from uh, my point of view is that there are uh, so many people that get their information from uh, whether it's social media or, you know, the, the large search engines. And what people are unaware of are that there are nation states, there are um, domestic activists that use all sorts of methods to amplify their positions and create um, oppositional types of view, create influence operations, create these things, and they flood the um, networks here in democracies. And people are unaware or don't have the critical thinking to, to say, is that really what's happening? Or can I really believe that? Without um, instilling that into people, I fear that, um, you know, that's that that that's a better weapon for that our adversaries can use than than any um you know than anything else in the world because it's low cost it can they can pulse it into our network you know unlimited and we have no ability to filter it because unfortunately people make money off that content <laughs> of course yeah yeah that is uh and there seems to be a lot of that going around too just uh, even though different administrations, not necessarily this one, but just pumping false information out just for propaganda's sake. Well, it's, you know, propaganda has been around forever, right? Yes. And uh, it's been, uh, you know, disinformation has been, you know, a weapon. I don't know. Alexander the Great used it. Caesar used it. I mean, you know, the, the Middle Ages used it. I mean, everybody's used it. Stalin sort of refined it. But now I find that um, 
politicians in particular um, are become experts at how to create, um, you know, that false and misleading information and how to how to how to perpetrate it throughout um, networks and then use the note and use things like a confirmation bias that people have to, to get them to over and over again, see things that they now believe that may, may not have any truth at all to them. Mm hmm. If they say it enough, people will listen. And I think that's a problem, too, with only going to certain sources. And, and like we're talking about sources, you want to get multi-source. You want to get different different views. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, just the, the, the stuff that they can turn off. Like they shut the uh, New York Post down um, yeah. with, with the Hunter Biden laptop story that yeah. I'm sure we've, we've all heard about at this point. <laughs> but Well, I think that, um, you know, my, my opinion is that uh, – you know, I thought that the Constitution's pretty clear about um, the values that the country has. And uh, I think for the first time, you know, in any memory I have, um, there's been a, you know, exercising some privileges there that that seem to go uh, beyond, you know, what what the Constitution would, um, you know, would say. And, and it's um you know, I think there's always a pendulum on these things. And I think there's a pendulum that's shifting back the other way, saying that, um, you know, that we shouldn't be trying to influence those kind of operations. And we we we, we have other ways to do um, censorship. We have other ways to to look for people that have male event intent. But it but it has to be used very carefully and within, you know, the rules and guidance that have been set up. It can't be a cavalier political tool yeah but it, pretty much everything seems to be political nowadays especially well with, that's why with, we, we built yeah we built the political filter because we want people to see that and and i'm not saying it's even the our two political parties it could even be external parties trying to influence uh and create chaos confusion in america so you take the um one of the things that I looked at very heavily was when um, when the abortion rulings came down and um, I, I started to look at, well, what is, um, you know, media companies on the right, how, how are they discussing this and how do media companies on the left discuss this, this, this problem? And it was almost like they were in two different countries, two different planets. And uh, the, the, the the theses were different. The facts were different. The, the thoughts on how it really worked were different. The, there was, you know, in each end of it, anger was the overwhelming kind of, you know, um, payload that they put on it. And, uh, you know, but but you can extend that to, to everything about race, about gender, about age, about religion. It's It's always the same. The, the these two ends of the spectrum yeah. get supercharged with anger and emotion and it leads to violence and that can, yeah. that's the part that that that's kind of dangerous um you know in my opinion that's where you have a real problem in your democracy when every conversation ends in violent encounters <laughs> and it it seems to too uh, and they're i mean politicians are proving right now they will say anything to keep their party in power that's they they will i mean you can look at these people and i'm just convinced they're in such a bubble that a lot of times they don't even realize that they're lying because everyone around them is saying oh yeah that's right that's right you know just a bunch of yes men um yeah well, yeah there's a um you know i always like to say that um you know that, that people have a they they create a story and a narrative and then by the time it actually gets out to the public it's been 
you, you know, there have been so many uh, participants in, in, you know, enlarging or projecting or amplifying the narrative that by the time it gets out, it may not even reflect what that person originally thought or said or meant. By the time it gets out, it's too late because that then they have to just support it. And um, I mean, do you think Seeker can be a big, uh, big reason a lot of this stuff turns around where people realize, I mean, at least the opportunity to get several sources. Do you think it's going to do that? I So I my hope with Seeker is that um, and what we're seeing is that, you know, in the in the 2020 election, there was a point in time where a great percentage of people, some people almost say it was like half the country were were, were so convinced that um that social media and search were conspiring against them for one reason or another. And, and, and sometimes it, it doesn't even matter which party you're in because they all had different views on this, that they look for alternatives um, and there weren't any. Well, in the last four years, a lot of alternatives have come up. Seeker's one of those alternatives. And I, mm -hmm. I believe as we get, as we get into the quote election season, and as we, um, we at Seeker start to, um, deliver some of the larger um, networks that will be distributing Seeker, I think that it will start to grow. And I think there'll be a percentage of people that um, who are not, let's say, um, sitting in front of, um, let's say, uh, cable networks all night and have their own very specific um, agenda and they're not going to change their mind. You know, my hope is that we get the younger generation who um, still has quite a bit of um, learning to do about all these different things and and wants to be able to use a tool like Seeker to see all sides of an argument rather than be locked into an echo chamber where, you know, yeah. everything see just confirms what they want. Because, I, I mean, I think it's difficult for people to break out of that. Um, but I think that, you know, capturing the younger people who then become available to vote in the next three, five years, whatever, that's where the change occurs. Yeah, that's uh, and that's a little scary to think about, but I, I'm pretty sure every generation has said the same thing about the the next generation as far as vo voting goes. Oh, you know it's true. I mean, you know, through every era, you know, every 18 to 21 year old always thinks that the you know the older generation mm -hmm. is wrong and antiquated and the establishment and whatever other term you want. And I think you know, I I actually hope that's what's happening now because the last you know eight to 12 years here have been, uh, you, you know, pretty, uh, pretty difficult and uh, have you know driven us more apart than together. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Yeah, that's why well, I'm convinced that's part of the big plan of divide and conquer and uh, other nations playing the long game while we play the short game and try to make it keep everybody happy. <laughs> so it, that's. Uh... Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, significant kind of, interest around the world in this because you know if you step back and you say well see almost 60 percent of the world are run by authoritarian governments and so that leaves 40 percent that that isn't and in that 40 percent you have this internal struggle uh, of of um you know people that are separated and divergent and can't have a conversation which I believe has been orchestrated by the other 60%, because as long as a democracy exists, their authoritarian regimes are threatened. So to me, it's a natural kind of consequence of, you know, you're standing there, as, you know, really as a minority um, point of view, 
and you've got the rest of the world wanting what we've got, but not wanting the government we've got. And the only way they can deal with it is to create confusion, create chaos, create strife, and then ultimately get you know enough division where people begin to think, well, maybe that other uh, political idea or maybe that other way of life is better, and then, then they win. And that's the biggest fear I have. And it's also the fear of many democracies. I recently was at uh, presented at a subset of the G20, um, which is chaired by India. And I'll be there again in three weeks to talk about uh, the responsible use of AI and how we're using it to um, identify uh, things like tra be transparent, give people a choice, identify where there's a presence of false and misleading information. And people love it because, um, you know, for instance, in India, um, 90 percent of the people uh, don't even believe um, what they read in their, you know, local um, country uh, press. They look outside of their country at the U.S. and at the U.K. And so, you know, in other parts of Western, um, you know, Europe and places like that, all the same thing. And there's a lot of elections coming up and they're all fearful. And finally, get acknowledging that this is a real problem. Yeah, it's uh, it it seems like it. Are people generally afraid of artificial intelligence? Do they think it's going to get to a point where it gets so massive it starts programming itself? Um. So, uh, also in, in uh, you know, I was in front of a couple of universities recently, and you know, the question was posed: Hey, is AI good or evil? Does <laughs> it create jobs or destroy jobs? And you know, the interesting thing is, if uh, once again, if you look at history, you know, man has always tamed something bigger than itself, right? And we've even seen that recently with, you know, Oppenheimer movie and nuclear power, and we've got dams and we've got, you know, satellites. So we've always been able to handle something far more powerful um, than us and, and harness that type of energy. And AI is no different than that. It, 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 the rules are human rules. How it's harnessed are based on humans. Can somebody misuse it? Yeah, somebody can misuse anything, right? And so the, the idea is that um, how do you harness this technology and, and use it to create jobs, use it for good, use it to solve problems? Could somebody program, you know, weapon systems to, to, to kill everybody? I mean, that, again, there have to be safeguards that are built in by humans. And uh, one more quick time here. Redundancy, I think, is a key to success. If you want to be really good at something, do it a thousand times. If you want to be excellent, do it 10,000 times. This is called preparation and muscle memory because as we've seen, our world can change in a moment's notice. So I can't instill preparation enough. And we're currently on the brink of an economic collapse and it can be scary, but if you don't think you need emergency food right now, wait a day and see what happens. Just don't wait too long. Because as I speak, preparewithrob.com is offering a huge discount on their best-selling three-month emergency food kit. For a limited time, you'll save 25% per kit. This is the biggest discount they offer, but it doesn't come along every day and it won't last long. So do yourself a favor, grab your 25% discount on each three-month emergency food kit you need. It includes delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and more, providing over 2,000 calories every day. Get at least one kit per person in your family from My Patriot Supply. Grab your 25% discount today before this offer expires. You'll get fast and free shipping too. Another great website, preparewithrob.com.
Go there now. Get your 25% discount, or you may regret it. Preparewithrob.com. Be prepared. And also, I would be remiss if I didn't talk preparation. It's very important to be prepared for anything. Just because something bad has not happened doesn't mean it can't or won't. And we are seeing, um, I've been around the world and I've seen the results, seen the effects of reckless government spending, corruption, and inflation. I always bring up the time I went to Turkey for the first time. Actually, a great place, but uh, I saw inflation firsthand. Being a kid from Montana, I wasn't used to taking out 10 million lira from an ATM. I got to find that picture, but I have it. But I paid. I had to pay seven, seven or seven point five million lira to get in to see the movie Armageddon in a theater in Turkey, which is actually kind of awesome. But that was a result of just government spending, printing so much money that it becomes um, useless. Basically, um, bank failures, the uh, recklessly printing money, Wall Street manipulation, the volatility of Bitcoin. Who are you going to trust? Trust something real. Stay prepared. Something that has had value since the beginning of time. That's a gold and silver from my friends at Allegiance Gold. Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold and silver, or they will deliver it securely right to your front door. Allegiance Gold has the highest ratings in the industry, five stars with TrustLink, a AAA rating with the Business Consumer Alliance, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You can invest with confidence because of the quality and service of Allegiance Gold. Right now, get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase. When you visit protectwiththeoperator.com, protectwiththeoperator.com, or call Allegiance Gold today at 844-790-9191. 844-790-9191. Protect your future with my friends at Allegiance Gold. So once again, that's protectwiththeoperator.com. Or call them today at 844-790-9191. I think where, where you're going, which is an interesting topic, is can a machine um, you know, gain enough reasoning power to then program another machine? And, and that's where it gets interesting because um, today machines are at a level of they can only do what you program them to do. If they're programmed to play chess, that's all they can do. They can't go play the piano um, or they can't make a salad. They can they can do what they're programmed to do. The next question is, if they're programmed enough, can they then gain reasoning power and say, hey, today I'm going to play the piano, tomorrow I'm going to make a salad, and over here I'm going to read a book. Well, once that level of reasoning occurs, you have that potential of where it can then create something that can do on its own that can do some type of harm. So in the process of creating these programs to build into these machines, there has to be safeguards built in, just like there are in any other things that we do. Because mm-hmm. well, um, obviously I'm thinking of the Terminator, <laughs> and if they decided to get militant like that, that's a that's probably a bad thing. I mean, it, it, would it be more it like say it was used for evil? Would it be more of just shutting systems down as opposed to robots? Um, so um the so think about it this way. Um it, you know, it, you know, could an AI could an AI system be hacked that ran, you know, uh, you know, stock markets? Could an AI system be hacked that ran satellite systems? Could an AI system be hacked that ran 
you know, uh, you know, weapon systems, you know, on a battleship or something. I mean, all those things, you know, could it be could it be hacked? And the answer is um, it, it they can be probably hacked. There's nothing that probably can't be. But the the question is how many how many different um, security features that are built into these platforms to, you know, to avail themselves of um eventually shutting th something down versus letting it go haywire, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, quantum computing um, is a couple of years away, but um, the power of a quantum compute can break any RSA-based code today. So all sorts of companies have formed to create layers around um, RSA-based code that can protect it from, say, a quantum computer. So it's going to be a battle of computers against that. So anyone with a superior computational advantage needs to be checked on the other end. That's going to be a battle that is just going to continue ad infinitum. It, is, is it going to be scarier or better? <laughs> I think, um, look, I think that, um, uh, I think that it, 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 it's going to be better, but I think there could be some scary moments. And yeah. um, you, you can imagine, uh, you know, for instance, um, real life scary moment could be that, you know, you're in for a, a significant surgery and the machine is performing the surgery and it goes haywire. I mean, there's things like that that could happen. Um, but that doesn't mean that the AI, that doesn't mean the machine itself has reason that you're a patient and I'm going to, you know, do something terrible to you. It's yeah. that there's a flaw in the programming that the human who built it, you know, yeah. didn't think about. But so I think that, um, uh, you know, it's a long way before a machine is creative, a machine can reason, a machine can um, take action um, onto itself. But I, I think it's a uh, it's a branch of philosophy. It's a branch of ethics that is uh, growing rapidly because that's really where the that's really where it is. It's not the machine itself. It's the ethics and it's the um, philosophy that has to has to change. The ethics. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of up to the person, the designer, though, right? So, but I well, mean, I, well, well, ethics are, um, you, you know, it's interesting. There are ethics, uh, you know, at, as a uh, as a profession. Uh, there's ethics in law. There's ethics in, you know, in health. You know, of course, they're violated because humans are not perfect, so they violate these things and they cause some damages. But for a machine with ethics to violate its own ethics, it has to have a reasoning power. Right, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is, if it's, you know, that's that's a ways off. What about with stuff like um, self-driving cars? Because we're pretty much almost there, and that's just they're all connected like a network, so the other cars know where they are. Like, the, I mean, just, uh, it comes to mind that uh, like is it good or bad for everyone? That's a lot of people drive for a living. That takes away a lot of jobs. Okay, but think about it like this. So, so that that's a really good point. So, um, the the vision of autonomous vehicles um, probably ten years ago, people started talking about it, right? Here we are 10 years later, and the most autonomous vehicle we have is you could take your hand off the wheel for a few minutes and put it back on, or you have a lane change detector, or you have something that tells you somebody's coming. But mm -hmm. who's the central processor in all that? It's not the car, it's you, because yeah. you're looking at, so you're the one, you're still holding the wheel, you're still seeing these things. So I believe that we're, you know, take that for example, we're a long way from where there's going to be a vehicle that 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 takes over from let's say 60% of the economy that today drives for a living there's a long way away now will they be enhancements to people that drive absolutely maybe 
maybe the um you know the, the these cars the uh, trucks can travel for a hundred miles and use you know various forms of lidar and radar to detect objects and images but when you're in a city it you know it's almost impossible because of the unexpected interactions that take place between people and and, and yeah. other objects within a city so the, i think the human again, elements same thing with robots right i think that um you know we already have um prosthesis that um you know for people and those will become more automated those will become more powerful those become more linked to the brain um those are the kind of things where you could say hey robotics are really helpful or you could put on a suit and you could you know instead of working in a warehouse lifting 100 pounds yourself you could lift you know 250 pounds and not walk away with a back injury and i say so i think there are all sorts of enhancements to the human condition as opposed to replacements and the only place it should be the only place that these machines really add value is when it's massive repetition it's it's something yeah. a machine can do and it's something a human would not want to do i have uh some smart technology in my refrigerator in my uh, kitchen and it's good and bad um <laughs> like i can't ever worry about leaving uh, uh the oven on because it turns itself off but there's, it does other things that I didn't want it to. Like it, uh, it, <laughs> it went on to a cleaning mode, and it yeah. baked the the electronics above it at like six hundred degrees. And the, they had to come over and give me a new one. Like, yeah, you shouldn't even uh, turn that on. I'm like, why is it a feature? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what they're gonna say to you? Oh, you didn't read the manual. Yeah, that's exactly what they said too. So, <laughs> so, so I, paid, you know, I paid. I paid for a new robot uh, oven type thing. <laughs> It, well, everything takes a little bit longer. I mean, Silicon Valley, uh, the masters of marketing, right? So when they say something's here, everyone believes it's here. The truth is that that um, you know when we talk about things like AI, um, you know, this like I told you earlier, it's been in development for thirty years. I mean, we we've had um, factories where they produce you know printed circuit boards or produce automobiles that are all driven by robotic arms that just take one piece and put it in another that's the same that's all the beginning of um you know artificial intelligence because we programmed it to do something a human didn't want to do the difference is today now you can directly as a non-programmer you can directly interact with this capability that's the big difference that's now cool. now what you're going to see is how useful is that technology to really to create real world applications how expensive is it to do that and then what what comes out of it because um the problem that one will encounter is as it starts to create things there's the error checking mode so i'll give you an example yeah. um a uh let, let's say that you were to go to chat GBT today and say, what happens when you break a mirror? It's going to come back and it's going to say to you, oh, you get seven years bad luck. Now, that's because that's the most common thing on the Internet. And, and it's the source yeah. that it looked at. Well, what happens when you cross a black cat? Right. It's going to come back with all these things that make no that have nothing to do with what the, your query is. But that's the popular answer. So but the popular answer isn't necessarily the most credible answer. Now, just spread that out. And what you get back is uh, over 50 to 60 percent of all these models that 
you know, contain content today are, um, you know, incorrect because there's just not a big enough sample set or the training set was wrong or there's biases built in where, you know, who's the speaker of the house? It comes back, Nancy Pelosi. Why Mm -hmm. is that? Because it hasn't, it doesn't have the breath to say, well, there was, you know, a new speaker elected, you know, whatever, 12 months ago and on and on and on. So, so what happens is the person that wants to deploy that application now has to spend all his time saying, well, what's right in here and what's wrong? And it defeats the purpose. So we're still a long ways away. That That is interesting, though, just to think the most popular answer. That's And that tells you about, you know, how, how accurate polls can be, too, because they don't ever seem to. Uh, how, how did, OK, backing way up, how did you get into into this 30 years ago? Uh, yeah, yeah. So so my background is, you know, I started out in in in. Um, uh, guidance systems. And I, I built guidance systems, um, you know, as part of uh, teams at Northrop Grumman for the MX missile program. I went nice. on to work on the space shuttle and, and built guidance systems there. So I was at Patrick Air Force Base and then over it, it was then Cape Canaveral. And then um, then I went on and, um, you know, did a lot of work in um, platforms for, you know, early computing and networking and software. And then in the late 90s, you know, I, I took a company public that um, a large portion of its technology was involved with um, the NSA, and we were involved in lots of the programs that they had up there and piloting some new ways to do search and uh, provide um, investigative, provide sort of knowledge bases for investigators to do their job. And uh, it, some of it was signal intelligence, some of it was, you know, with other three-letter agencies that, um, you know, had more human intelligence and needed to do investigations. And then ultimately, you know, they would take some form of action as a result of these reports. And I sold that company to Intel and um, then for a couple of years, um, kind of looked at what to do. 9-11 happened and, uh, you know, a whole host of companies were invited to the White House to, you know, to hear and, and, you know, George Tenet and others, you know, talk about how how could this happen? And, you know, what 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 could American industry do, you know, to to, to kind of step up to take it to, 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 so that this would never happen again? Mm-hmm. And uh, I came out of those discussions with the idea that we should build a um, a search platform that would sit behind the firewall that could be used by um, anybody, you know, in the uh, not just our intelligence community, but at the expanded community that were all involved in, you know, targeting and tracking terrorists. And so that's where, you know, I got my um, real view of, um, you know, we did two things. We we built these systems that gathered data um, through profiling, through search, and, and, and provided analysts with the ability to target and track all these things. And then um, on the other side of the house, we took a look at, you know, what kinds of things could we do on a more forward um, kind of non-kinetic action so how do we disrupt um turn them on themselves get whistleblowers and um go after them and a lot of that has to do with psychops and a lot of it has to do with disinformation and i could see how all these things operated together and i saw how effective they could be um and uh around the world and uh you know that sat with me for a long time um and then you know Fast forward to 2016, and uh, I saw what the uh, 
the first election with Trump and Clinton, and I saw what was happening there. I saw what happened at Brexit. I saw what Cambridge Analytica did. And I said, this this same thing, this same, you know, how one disrupts uh, society is now come back to us. And mm -hmm. uh, you could see the presence of nation states, whether it's China, Iran, um, North Korea, Russia, the, the presence of these bots, the presence of influence operations, the presence of creating conflict, um, which went the same route as it, as it always does, create concern, create doubt, get people to turn on themselves, create a whistleblower, take action. And that's what is happening today in our society. Yeah, like TikTok comes to mind. That's a... Uh, that's like really interesting because uh, no one knows who these creators are. Nobody um, understands where the data stays when um, you know people view it. Um, but more importantly, it's become um, so vast that there are all sorts of things that are happening on it that are beyond the scope of, let's say, our law enforcement or intelligence um, agency's ability to look at it. So one of the things we're looking at are what kind of signals can we see from video that might indicate the presence of human trafficking? Um, so there are all, all in there are, believe it or not, there are millions of, you know, videos out there that where, you know, people publish things and all sorts of bad actors are out there and bad things are happening, but they're in plain sight. Yet there's no technologies able to positively identify these things unless you've narrowed it down to such a scope that somebody can, you know, a law enforcement or an intelligence community can take action. But other than that, the general public has no real knowledge of this. And so, um, and in particular, you know, from a commercial point of view, advertisers who want to advertise on TikTok or want to advertise on YouTube, who are these creators and what's going to come out next here? So a rating system for them is imperative. Yeah, that, I was I was going to ask like, what's the? You said that no one really knows where their information they're storing on you goes. No, think about this. You know, um, you're viewing um, you know a video, and uh, there are literally thousands and thousands of video channels like right now where uh, you know it's Russian disinformation. It's about their progress in Ukraine, or mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and they're all over the world. I mean, people be sitting there with a with a baseball hat on, a girl, blonde haired girl, that says ABC News, and you'd think it was ABC News, and it's in a Russian operation in a green room somewhere, right? Wow. And, it's and and they're saying you know Kiev's fallen and the Ukrainians are running and uh, we've got you know we're victorious and it's like. What does that do? You know, people that are listening on the other end who might be in Ukraine might say, oh, my God, we got to get out of here. Right. Yeah. That's the yeah. Power of it. That, yeah. That's the power of it. I've I've seen it, too, with a lot of stuff going on in, in Europe on television. Then I went to Europe and it's like, what, what they were just what was that? You know, there's well, that shit happens everywhere. But I've 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 seen him really exaggerate the hell out of it. Well, you know, where I got my experience and where this originally happened is. Um, this was pioneered, I, I believe, in the age of video between, uh, you know, the Israel-Palestine, where there's conflict, where they would have um, video footage of like an Israeli soldier, you know, potentially shooting three Palestinian kids, and then they blasted around the world and it would create outrage. But it was just, you know, an assembled video that was that was, you know, different events that were stitched together. And that was where I began to learn how, um, you know, this has become a really powerful force. And now you 
take it fast forward, you know, 15 years and you now have, you know, artificial intelligence that can assemble these kind of things and people without any uh, critical thinking or other sources to verify, that's going to be, um, yeah. that's going to be create real conflict. But it, may, it makes me wonder about how, how did they do it back in the day when we, uh, only had Walter Cronkite and just got to trust him. <laughs> like he's, he can tell you anything he wants. <laughs> yeah. Well, so interesting then too, right? I mean, one could say, oh, that's innocent. And that was all channeled. And, uh, you know, the world is a lot more scarier than the way, you know, the three channels presented it. But on the other hand, you know, you, you know, people felt like there was an accountability. They felt like if somebody misled them, that they would be fired and removed. All right, from yeah. You know, they felt all those kinds of things. But as um, time went on and the Internet, you know, blew up and became the primary source, you know, anybody's a source. So when you think about it, you know, how do people get breaking news today? Well, there's seven billion cell, you know, cell phones in the world and they're taking pictures. And who knows what, you know, you've seen all these things. There's tons of apps that can alter pictures. They can remove people. They can add people. You know, it's it, it, it becomes almost like, you know, an army of people that have to check what the heck they're getting and whether it's true or not. We used to have news agencies like uh, AP and others that, you know, would provide real-time feedback that was, you know, verifiable. Now it's impossible. But, you know, in today's world of instant consumption, have to have everything. And I only look at summaries. I only look at gisting. I only look at, you know, who recommends it. Um, You know, all these things can be um, pervade at a faster rate. Yeah. Calling uh, calling states way too early by news organizations instead of the state itself is uh, that's something well, too that we that's happened that's the another, last few elections. <laughs> well, uh, look at that. That's an example. But the other thing is that polling is so um, uh, poor these days because uh, many people who are approached to poll will won't do it, and uh, they just not interested, right? And then other people. Um, you know, they may take the same poll a hundred times. And so how do you, you know, what's the, what are the verifications or the trust factors that go in that this was an accurate poll? But nonetheless, these polls are produced, they're, they're published in there, and they have an effect, a psychological effect on one party or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's what oh, yeah. they use, as opposed to being a quantitative health assessment of where we are relative to the issues, I think they're more used as a tool to uh, damage the other party. And so um, yes. that, that's an, that's an, that's another kind of form of warfare, just like fact checkers who only fact yes. check facts that are in their favor. Right. And yep. so that's a game that um, has taken something that would have been um, useful to the American public at large and have weaponized it to be um, useful in in terms of winning an election, and I think that's just another um, you know another form of, of 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 oppression, really, as opposed to liberating people. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. That's uh, the, again, just the what what's popular, what's the most common answer. That's just, uh, I mean, yeah, there's it, even there's even different algorithms. We talked about TikTok that they show anti-american stuff to americans and westerners but in china they see pro-china stuff that they're even yeah. messing with that like that like they're uh they're 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 fixing their kids to whip our ass well they they what what you know my, my view again is that uh 
the philosophy of uh, of China is that you know that it's a superiority you know philosophy, and it kind of pervades everything there. And uh, people within the country are unaware of how we view their country, um, and in fact, you know, believe that we're 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 the oppressors, and they're very effective. I've been there many times, you know, early in the '80s where it was not like that, and lately in the last few years where you know, your internet's suppressed, your messaging suppressed, yes. uh, everything is surveilled, um, face recognition, walking in the airport, I mean, all these kinds of things. And and it, it, it's become a, a society, uh, you know, where it's data driven. And if you uh, if you are uh, if you fall outside what where they think you're supposed to be, um, you know they take action on that, and uh, that again goes back to you know how an authoritarian regime stays in power. It's historically the way it is. Yeah, I'm noticing the same names over and over. <laughs> the same same people involved. People uh, using uh, using Congress as a retirement home. Like why why would you why would you want to ditch all the yes men that just tell you what you want to hear? <laughs> all the well, time. It, it, you know what? It, it, unfortunately, what we've learned in, um, you know, they, they can take a they should take a page out of um, some of the more successful U.S. businesses, because, you know, in business, you know, you're there to serve the shareholders. Um, and, and so in order to do that, you have to turn your organization over on a regular basis. Right. And so um, and that's to improve performance and um, and to get new ideas and to remain, um, you know, true to, um, you know, the marketplace that you're trying to serve. Why aren't those same things, you know, are almost subverted in government where, you know, people stay for a very long time. They lose touch with um, yeah. what their what the goals should be, what the constituents want. Um, but they uh, but they remain where they are. And uh, younger people um, who have fresher, newer ideas. Um, are suppressed or are moved out or maybe can't gather the right um, resources. And, um, you know, that, 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 that is a part of our policy, you know, kind of fabric, I think that should be reviewed. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you. You, you kind of brushed over it, but I think it's really cool. You were doing, you were working with the MX missile, correct? Yeah. What kind of what kind of stuff were you doing with them? Like the, the uh, what kind of designs were you working on? Well, so um, the the goal of the MX missile was you know was um, painted on the top of, inside of the Northrop building, and it said the ability to launch a um, a missile from the U.S. and put it through the goalposts of Moscow. That was wow. it. And so, in order to do that, um, there were hundreds of different contractors that had it to be threaded together to create something that could leave the earth's atmosphere enter it and 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 be pinpoint target with the kind of payload that it was going to carry and the part that was um our responsibility was the what was called the inertial guidance system which was the ability for it to be um you know to use the you know celestial mechanics and other kinds of um technologies at the time to be able to take that 7,000 mile ride and hit, you know, between the goalposts, which is, you know, quite a fantastic feat um, to be able to accomplish. And so um, my whole team um, led by some really brilliant guys that, you know, had been building navigation systems for a while. I was, you know, kind of the youngest member of the team, but we, you know, we, we constructed these things and, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, we won at my company, 
the 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 um, the project to build that system. So we provided those systems to them, and then ultimately um, the same chips that we use to um, put you know to to protect the gyros, let's say, from radiation, which you incur when you start to leave the Earth's atmosphere and then come back in, you know, ultimately had to be built for space shuttles and all other sort of complicated vehicles like that. So that's that's kind of how I moved between the two um, kind of platforms was uh, was around the ability, you know, the radiation hardened chips and things of that nature. Mm. So it and there were uh, multiple kinds of missiles. There were um you know, short range long range they were potentially um you know uh, packaged with you know fighters and things but the true mx was was really meant to be a a long range ballistic missile mm. and that's um we that's still the best one we got isn't it um so uh i'm not you know, sure. The, the as time went on, um, you know, that became a much more, um, let's say, covert types of programs where, you know, the development of, um, let's say, uh, nuclear capability uh, in the in the ability to, um, let's say, uh, launch something of that nature. Um, as time went on. Um, Space became more important, so uh, Earth orbiting satellites became more play more of a role in in kind of direction, and so the the entire kind of infrastructure of how those missiles, um, you know, today kind of could be launched and where they could be launched from, and and in what in in what kind of um, mechanisms exist, um, you know, around those, uh, you know, are, are a lot more complicated than they were when I when I was involved. But I'm sure that you know, just have to think about drones and think about other unmanned kind of things, and you probably get an idea of how these things could be delivered, you know, anywhere. You know, the the act, the kind of thing that we were looking at versus what the accuracy and the close nature of what unmanned um you know uh, you know unmanned let's say propulsion systems could do are pretty interesting it sounds really interesting like if you're, so if you're leaving the atmosphere <laughs> and coming back in do you want to be closer to the equator to get the most out of the rotation of the earth or how or uh, you just got to figure um, you launch it from different places where where, like, where are you going you go up and over the poles down over the south pole or what's, what's... well well so all, all of it all of it comes down to uh well there's a lot that goes into it but the uh you know the what it really comes down to is that yes you have to look at you know you have to calculate the uh you know the the spinning of the earth and you have to calculate um you know all of that and, and you have to you know project that uh, into the guidance system, which, you know, has to be programmed, uh, you know, which is the navigation system has to be like programmed. How do you get to that particular location? And the spinning of the earth is one of them, but there's a whole bunch of other things. Heat becomes a factor. Um, there's, 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 um, you know, atmospheric disturbances that become a factor. There's, there's all these things that have to be sort of um, programmed in. So, one can't just um, you know decide one day to press a button and it's going to end up where you think it is. There's a whole lot of, you know, it's like I, I would imagine you know when you're you know taking a long range shot, right? There's all sorts of things you have to take into effect to hit something a mile away versus 
a hundred yards away. Yes. And those things that you take into effect, your brain's calculating, you know, with all these different things about what I just mentioned. Well, just imagine something that weighs, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds with a massive payload that's going, you know, 7,000 miles. Is that a long range is 7,000 miles? Yeah. And they could be longer today, but they, but the target was 7,000 miles. Um, because again, you have to, you know, look at fuel, you have to, and, and again, things right. have, I'm sure propulsion systems have dramatically improved since then as, as are the guidance systems. But at that point, um, we were building guidance systems and, you know, people were barely out of slide rules using calculators oh, at the wow. time. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like we had a supercomputer designing this stuff. And, uh, and, and by the way, I think that, um, you know, my personal take is that th those are um, deterrents, but I don't think they'll, you know, in today, I think the use of those would in an offensive environment, I think is probably a low chance in, in my ability, but because I think there's other ways that, People could, um, you know, decide to, to 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 launch, you know, offensive attacks that could be probably more devastating and, you know, and, and disruptive than than things like that. So I think um, those are the things that we need to guard about, which is why the banking system is so important, why the Internet is so important, why satellite is so communication systems are so important, because any any disruption to any of them leave you sort of naked for when that kind of an attack can occur. So oh, I yeah. think always something that's going to precede one of those kind of, um, you know, operations. It, it, and that's that's just, you know, what I've seen in the last few years. Yeah. I think EMP could be a big one. EMP could be a big one. Um, you know, people are looking at other other kinds of, um, you know, forces that, that, that can disrupt things. Um, but, um, you know, right now, you know, I think, the, the area to pay most attention to, uh, I think, is what's going on in space. I mean, we're we're you know we're launching satellites, you know, as our other countries mm -hmm. on an incredibly you know rapid rate. I mean, last you know I heard the other day that you know there are so many satellites at low Earth orbiting and some of the high Earth orbiting that um, you know our ability as a nation um, you know to 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 be able to use that as a strategic advantage uh other nations are are now able to surveil like united states assets in in almost the same manner and so i know there's defensive operations against that but it's a never-ending game as as these as societies get more sophisticated the, these kind of systems are going to exist more and more and i think we'll be under the same kind of um surveillance that we that say other nations are under and then uh, hopefully someone can't just turn everything off that would be that would be catastrophic you turn imagine if we off. if we lost it, our gps's <laughs> like i don't think anyone would know how to get anywhere well that's it turning everything off is like the biggest um concern i think because if you if you turn everything off you know, you have no visibility and without visibility, anything can happen. And, you know, you know, that's that's why it's so important, I think, that uh, the advancement of um, AI, I think, is a real strategic weapon for the United States. Um, and, you know, there were talks about we should have the government put guardrails around it, control it, slow it down. I say the opposite, because if we slow down 
if, if we give any advantage to our adversaries who are going to push forward, um, we may be facing our own technology on the other side because we slowed down. We we paid attention to political vibrations in this right. country where other countries are saying, you know what, let's take advantage of of this um, lag in their um, sensibilities and let's build what we need to build way ahead of where they are. And if they get ahead of us and they start to you know move in this direction, I, I think that's when we're going to have some real mm -hmm. threats beyond just what we have today. Yeah, and that just seems to me. Am I am I wrong in saying this? But it seems to me we just want to slow ourselves down, and and, and as opposed to even looking at other countries or uh, that are here stealing our technology too. That's I mean that's intellectual it's property. Is pretty big. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Um, we um, I'm involved with one program, and um, you know there are thirteen thousand universities in this country. And, you know, the United States, through its different institutes, um, gives grants um, to each of the to many universities to build, let's call it non-classified types of um, technology. And what happens is that there are um, nationals, um, Chinese nationals, others that are in these universities that, you know, have been taking this using the technology grant to create. Uh, different applications or create IP, ship it back to China, and then China patents it and then resells it in the United States. Right. And so um, we, you know, there's a, this is a, a huge, you know, program and problem in the United States because we never want to challenge anyone. We never want to call suspicion to thing, things. And so as a result, our, our, our very kind of uh, democratic ways and uh, allowances of, you know, people to have liberties has been turned against us. And so um, this particular program is really important because there are thousands of you know, universities that have um, Chinese nationals and others that are in uh, very sensitive areas, you know, computer science departments, biology mm -hmm. departments, robotics departments that, um, you know, are in fact delivering, you know, potentially, you know, the results of our development back to their, their own country. And so, if, if you know, I feel like there needs to be a far more control of um, where does this money go? Who are the people that have access to it? What are they building, and 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 how does that benefit the American people? And I just think that you know the pendulum has to swing back a little bit more towards um, realizing that there are people in in countries and groups out there that are not friendly to us. They want what we've got. And, um, you know, they'll take it any way they can get it. Yeah. There are people out there that do not like us. I promise. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, you, you, you would know you're on the front end of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. so, uh, cause, cause we've mentioned algorithms and I'm convinced on social media, there's algorithms that it sees what you're watching. So it shows you more of that content. Like if you like fight videos, I was, I don't yeah. know why the, I'm sick of those fight videos, but the ones that I've been fascinated with are the flat earthers. They are convinced that earth is flat, convinced that they make arguments every day. And I love reading them. They're pr pretty funny. How do, how do you confront a flat earther? You know, there, there are, um, there are so many, the one thing you learn about the internet that it, that there are so many beliefs that, mankind have and they manifest themselves in these 
verticals that are hard to believe. And so, you know, flat earth has, you know, since um, I guess Copernicus <laughs> developed, you know, the view that we're round in a solar system, um, that, um, you know, that the earth is not flat and that uh, every, you know, but yet there's a, a sliver of people that want to believe it. Just like there's a sliver of people that want to believe that you know the Holocaust didn't happen, there's a yeah. sliver of people that want to believe. So you these these um, confirmation biases they they develop in a way where um, they 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 all, they become believers. Alex Jones proved that if you say it enough times, people believe it. And so you know you the the only there, there's sometimes not a lot you can do because even if you confront these people with all the scientific and you know um historical evidence in the world they still say i'm going to believe what i want to believe and yep. not much you can do so somebody that thinks the earth's flat i'm almost saying that's a lost cause and i almost believe that they might be saying it more for comedic or, uh, reasons or some type of economic reason that they make money out of it because otherwise i don't know how they could believe it <laughs> yeah they uh i mean they interview pilots and stuff that say that the uh that uh, the earth is flat i, I, yeah. I don't know if it's a parody or whatever but uh so what about well, the moon landing then they're saying we didn't land on the moon we don't have the yeah technology. so uh i would put so so the one that i so the moon landing you know that's been around for a while like jfk that's been around a while um but the one that's kind of the most interesting which is uh, puzzling to me is the one about ufos right so here you've got you know one of the biggest questions that man always asks is, are we alone? Right? right. And so the answer now is that, oh, we there have been UFOs and there are certain media companies that, you know, say how ridiculous it is. And there are other media companies that are giving it a lot of a lot of, you know, coverage and credibility. And now there are spokespeople that are coming out, you know, talking about it around the edges. And so, uh, you know, who knows what the real answer is there? But um that's a, that's an area that I think has quite a bit of a following, and um, oh yeah, I'm curious myself like where it all will go. Uh, I have a you know if you read everything in the world that you know about what you know a physicist or a scientist may say, you would say that it's relatively impossible for some um, you know other form of life to exist anywhere like within light years of here but other people you know have a good argument against it so who knows it's some of it gets spiritual right like well you know if you believe in god it's like why would he only create one place where you know you know life exists so it's it it's a really interesting argument it's like how did the universe begin so those yep. are the kind of things that they're not really conspiracy theories i think they're differences in philosophy of you know and yeah they, they can get down to some real conspiracy theories but i think if you back up some of them have just it's about a belief system it's about kind of spirituality and that becomes like a almost like a, a never-ending argument as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah the, uh, there, there's conspiracies everywhere i'm still convinced that jesus was a red-headed american just saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he, he. I guess a couple of them got picked up in Afghanistan, like that. Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised you run into a wacky world over there. So, yeah. um, yeah, so what? What? Uh, what's the plan now with Seeker? What's 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 Seeker going to do? Well, so we, you know, we have launched our first product and uh, had you know great response to it. We are now talking to uh, many large um, publishing and media companies that want to use. Um, 
parts of what Seeker have built, whether it's the scoring system or the ag, you know, the news system or um, you know, our quote extractor, et cetera. Um, we we are also looking at um, implementing our capability in cloud in inside of some of the large cloud providers. So uh, any company that wants to use our components can you know, log into one of the big cloud providers and our components will be available. And that's how we how we get to, I think, a mass scale on uh, one end of the spectrum. And then the other end, as you know, the election nears and as we get um, more and more um, visibility, uh, I think, it, you know, we could become, uh, you know, a place to go for people that want alternatives to what exists today. And I, I know that from the last election that there was a huge um, rush of people that that tried to find alternatives other than let's say Google, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, they they came up, you know, more or less empty-handed. They they found uh, Telegram, they found DuckDuckGo, and a couple of others. But mm -hmm. um, now I think there are other options, and people are more concerned now. Not as much with you know privacy still an issue, but now it's really you know what am I consuming? How good right. is it? And can I rely on it? And I think that's where we're going to shine. And so the next six months, we're just going to push, you know, the uh, visibility of the company in all different dimensions and including through uh, the channel I mentioned, uh, G20 and up through to the UN. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a bit. It's a big does. I know they make the uh, the traffic suck in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice property. Uh, though. Everybody's got yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. everybody's got their little security detail. So that's important. Um so uh, just where where can you go to Useeker? S e e k r dot com. Is that that we're going with? That's it. That's um that's the that's the website. You can go there and you can see how we've you know done a bunch of things that we've talked about on this show. Um, give us your email and um, stay on the site because month by month we continue to add new innovations to the site. Um, we've changed a lot of the way the scoring is and things of that, and we'll be illuminating other. Uh, we just did the podcast in the civility score, so you'll see how we rate podcasts. Pretty soon you'll see some other things around other content rated. So, um, you know, stay to the site, download it, and, and you'll see as, as we approach, um, you know, 2024 election, there'll be a lot of things that you can take a look at, and it'll give you, you know, a very good point of view um, that you may not get anywhere else. That's outstanding. I yeah, I'd highly recommend checking out Seeker. I love it just because of what sure. we talked about. With you're going to get different. Uh, it's not the the one side of the aisle. All the articles come up. It's it's like you said, the Seeker score is there. It tells you what you're getting into, uh, and, and just different points of view. And and you know, when I read stuff, I usually know that I'm a right or wrong. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, that was I was right on that. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, so go to Seeker, check it out, Pat Condo. Thank you for coming on the Operator Podcast. Great time. Yeah, no, it's tremendous. I, I love it. Thank you very much for having me. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.